And I always talk about it with my teammates that, you know, every aspect of that year, just walking to go get pregame downtown, like every aspect of it was super special. Welcome to Sauce Talk, a podcast about sports and the mind and living well in general. This is Billy Hansen, and today's episode is an athlete profile episode with Janae Squires-Horton. Janae was an excellent college basketball player. She played, she started at Adams State and then transferred to Metro, and she was a multiple all-Armac player. That's all Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference in her junior and senior season. She was a terrific two-way player, making an impact on the defensive end and also shooting the lights out in her junior season. See, I've got the stats here. She scored 13.2 points per game, led the team with 76 made three-pointers and 76 threes in a college season. is That's a ton of threes. And she she shot it at a 37% clip from three and 93% from the line. So she is quite the shooter. And we talk about shooting here, which was fun. Janae was one of the top players leading Metro to the NCAA tournament, and upon graduation, she was offered a professional contract to play in Latvia, and we'd get into all of that here. It was great talking to her here. I discovered Janae through her own podcast, which is called Off the Record. I heard her podcast where she was talking about her experience playing overseas and reached out to her, and she agreed to come on the show, and it was a really, really fun episode talking to Janae. So if you like this episode, you should check out Janae's podcast too, and I'll link to that in the show notes to this episode, so that'll be on my website or in the description in the podcast apps. If you like the podcast, you can support me and my work by sharing it with those who you think might like it. I also always appreciate reviews on Apple Podcasts and downloads on Spotify, so you can help me out in those ways too. But the best place to stay in contact with my work is through my newsletter, which you can find at billyhanson.net forward slash newsletter. And I'm noticing that many of my emails are landing in people's spam, unfortunately. So if you have subscribed and you're not getting my emails, you should check your spam folder. And I think you can train your email to have my emails land in your primary by dragging it into your primary or manually labeling it as a primary email. And I'm going to do my best to try to game the Google overlord algorithms by by writing my emails without, I think there's ways that I can try to get it into people's primary inbox. So anyway, if you want to stay in touch with my work, you should, you should subscribe there. Thank you for listening. And without further delay, here is Janae Squires-Horton. All right, so I'm here with Janae Squires-Horton. Janae, thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here today. Yeah, so where, let's just start. I don't know much about your background, so just walk through your playing career. Where did you go to high school? I went to high school in Colorado Springs at Sand Creek. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to, I actually started my high school career at Vista Ridge. It was our rival in D49 of um, anyone's familiar with Colorado Springs basketball transferred to Sand Creek my sophomore year and got to play with my sister for two years and we had a really great team my junior actually my sophomore to my senior year we had a really good team um, made it to the the grade eight three times in a row and had an amazing coach Jamie Carey she's actually the associate head coach at um, North Texas for the women's basketball team right now so we had a 
well-rounded team there. And um, that's kind of where, you know, the whole idea of college basketball kind of started for me. So that's, nice. that's a little bit of the beginning there. Yeah. Dude, so I'm curious, why did you decide to transfer after your freshman season? Was it to play with your sister specifically or recruiting options or what, why was that? Yeah. So Sand Creek had been known for, for basketball just before I had even um, started going to high school. And so I went to Vista Ridge cause it was really close to my dad's house and it was kind of just like, this is where I'm going to go. And then, yeah, basketball didn't end up being what I wanted it to be. And I was starting and everything as a freshman on the varsity team and was doing really great, had, you know, amazing stats and everything, but I needed to be on a team where I could um, excel more. And I, I'm, I wanted to win games and we weren't winning games at Vista Ridge. So I decided to transfer and then that kind of um, sparked my sister's decision to go to Sand Creek as well. So we could play together. Oh, so you both transferred there the same year. Okay. And is she? No. Well, she actually is two years younger than me. Oh, she's so two years younger. I, okay, okay. Mm-hmm, okay. Yeah. So I um, kind of made sparked her decision to go to Sand Creek. And we had some other friends that were there that were really great at basketball as well. So we knew we were going to have a good team. And she, she came there um, when she graduated uh, middle school. Nice. And did um, is she playing in college now? Did she end up playing college too? Yeah. So she played four years at Montana State in the Big Sky Conference. Oh, wow. Um, and is now in the process of trying to play overseas. So it's it's slow right now, kind of, for people signing to go, especially women. And so um, she's still in the process of that right now. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I want to get into your experience um, yeah, going sure. overseas towards uh, in a little bit here. Um, so what was your recruiting like out of high school? Did you Were you chasing the D1 dream? Did you have a lot of recruiting options? What was that process like um, as your senior year started to unfold? Yeah, it was pretty much nothing. Um, I was pretty much, um, I would like to to say I was an underdog in high school. Um, I was pretty much, I was a good player, but I would consider myself a role player and uh, more effective on the defensive end. I, I was fine offensively, but not to the extent that, you know, schools were, were looking at me and, the club team I was playing on, um, it was based out of Arizona and a lot of girls from the bordering states went to go play on that team. And so me and my sister played on this team. And unfortunately, that was another unfortunate situation that I had gotten pulled into and weren't getting many looks. Um, the coaches weren't really recruiting, like they weren't really putting my name out there for anything. And so I was getting letters from you know, everybody gets letters from D1s and they start that little recruiting process, but nothing mm-hmm. ever went past just the few things that I was getting in the mail. And by the time the end of my junior year came around, I had absolutely nothing. I had no looks. I had no visits. I had nothing. And mm-hmm. I was freaking out because I was one of those people who likes to plan ahead. So I, I had this whole plan that I was going to sign and be committed before my senior year. So I wasn't trying to have this spectacular senior year to get something at the end. Yeah. And, um, there was one last uh, little showcase at Gold Crown Fieldhouse, like a few months before school was going to start in August. And my dad was like, you know, let's just go to this. Let's see what happens. There's going to be some schools there. And I was like, you know what? I have nothing to lose. And so I went to the showcase and it was, it was great. I actually excelled in the entire thing. It was just, it was a few hours that day. We played some games, had some skill work and there were a couple of, I think, I think most of them may have been RMAC schools that were there. I'm not really mm-hmm. sure. But um, yeah, I ended up getting a, a phone call from the assistant coach at Adam State. And 
I had no idea what Adam State was. I didn't know what the RMAC was. I had no idea (laughs) what any of that was. And so (laughs) I was like, okay, you know, I didn't want to go JUCO or anything. And even though now I sit back and think, I wonder what would have happened if I went JUCO without going to Adam State first. But um, yeah, Adam State, they called me like a week later, said they really liked my game at the showcase. And I went on a visit there and without even caring too much about what the team looked like, the record, any of that. Uh, I really got along with the head coach that was there. And then I um, I just committed. So I committed right before school started my senior year and just decided to go to Adams State just so I could have somewhere to go pretty much. Yeah, yeah. that's I know that feeling when I was going through the recruiting process too, of just to be so nice to get this out of the way before my senior season so that mm-hmm. you, don't have, you don't have that lingering thought of like during games and after games, like, okay, I played well, but did a scout see it? And that all that kind of psychological torment that comes with trying to earn a scholarship. Um, and yeah, it's funny you mentioned those D1 letters that you get as like a freshman and sophomore. And you, yeah. I used to like, oh my God, I got a letter from Stanford. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly, yeah. exactly. So you end up signing at Adams State and did that, well, how, was your, how did your senior year of, of high school turn out? I, I saw that you had quite a few accolades in high school. So did, was it fun playing knowing that you were already committed somewhere? Yeah, so as soon as senior year started, all of us had been, all of the seniors had been committed. I had a teammate, Michaela Reese, she committed to SMU. Um, and then I think a couple other girls, I'm not sure, it might have just been me and her that year, but we were already committed and we were just so excited to just start our season. And at Jamie Carey, you know, my high school coach, she was just amazing. She got drafted to the WNBA, she worked for USA Basketball, just super amazing coach. And so, mm. Senior year was awesome. Um, it was great playing with my sister one last time, and we made it to the grade eight again, but unfortunately lost in the grade eight three years in a row. Um, and it was super heartbreaking after you know high school ended. But um, thinking back on college now, it, it was kind of the same thing. You know, it's just it's always heartbreaking when when something like that ends, like an end of an era. So um, yeah. it it was fun though. I was super happy, and I was anxious. To to college and see see what I could do at the division two level um it was it was fun though yeah yeah for sure and tell me what it was like showing up to Adam State for the first time yeah it was it was nerve-wracking I was just a little freshman scared um (laughs) about to be on my own for the first time and didn't know a soul uh I just went on one visit and met the team briefly one day and um you know funny story about why I even transferred from Adam State um the, the coach that recruited me initially after that showcase she left to go to CSU Fort Collins and left mm. us with a brand new coach who none of us knew, knew nothing about his background, um, mm. just kind of got thrown into the fire. And we were all really upset about that. And I, I was upset as well because I strictly went there because I bonded with her on my visit and she seemed yeah. like a, a great coach that I wanted to play under. And so, you know, we, all of our, all the freshmen, there was like eight or seven of us who were just like super heartbroken about that. But at that point it was just like, well, here's our opportunity to show what we can do here and to see. And so, but yeah, showing up to Adam State, it was um, it was interesting. Alamosa, never been there, never heard of it before. Um, yeah. So it's totally different from Colorado Springs. And then, did you start that season either at the beginning or throughout the throughout the year? Yeah. So we didn't start like half the season, and then you know, just with some, I'm not really sure what was going on behind the scenes, but ended up starting like halfway through the season and um, finished out the season starting. So it, it was like halfway through, though. Yeah, I searched you on YouTube earlier today, and the first thing that came up was 
your game winning three um, <laughs> as a freshman. And I, you hit like, yeah. what, you hit four threes in the last 90 seconds. The announcers are yeah. freaking out. Like this is where <laughs> legends are born. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was, it was insane. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and so, and it was interesting just to see that you did that against Metro and that was towards the end of your season, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I need to know how it came to be that you transferred to Metro after breaking their hearts like that at the end of the season. I know. I know. <laughs> it's always a story that no one ever lets me live it down to this day. Um, I um, had that breakout game against them, game winner, all of that. And then at that point in the season, um, I knew half of my team was going to transfer, including me um, at the end of my um, freshman year. And so you know, just knowing my game and knowing how I play and just knowing how I wanted to succeed with this basketball career, I, I knew I wasn't going to go D1 at the time. And so I wanted to stay within the RMAC or not even the RMAC, just Division Two. Mm-hmm. And my dad actually reached out to Tanya Jave at Metro. I don't know what provoked him to reach out to them, but he reached out to them and ended up getting me a visit set up with them um, about two months after season ended. And I went up there. Uh, met with coach and met the girls, played a little open gym with them. And all the girls, you know, were giving me the side eye because last time they saw me, I was uh, <laughs> ending their season pretty much. <laughs> and so um, went up there and, they, you know, giving me, giving me crap about the game too. And I just loved that environment. Like just the fact that we could joke about that and they barely knew me and it just felt very comfortable for me. And not to mention, I love the city. So I thinking about living in Denver seemed very ideal for me. And that one visit, I just, I said, I would love to come here. And that, that's pretty much all she wrote when going to Metro. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the move from, uh, not to, no offense to anyone in Alamosa, but the, the move to Denver must've been pretty exciting to get, <laughs> to get into the city. That must be nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was great. Yeah. And so tell me about your sophomore season. How was that first season on a new team? Yeah. Sophomore season was interesting. Um, there was like seven or eight sophomores on the team when I came in. So I just added to the class of people that were already there. Mm. And just, it was me. It was, so I was, I was the train, I was the only transfer. And then we had two freshmen come in that year as well. And so didn't really know what my role was going to be on my visit. Coach Jave pretty much said, you know, we have this amount of sophomores. So pretty much telling me that I'm going to really have to work my way up to get into this, to this lineup of playing. Mm-hmm. And that just provoked me to just come in there with like a fire under my butt, ready to outwork every single person on the roster because I wasn't going to go in there and just transfer to sit the bench or anything. And so mm-hmm. went in there, did really well in preseason and ended up starting the first couple of games, but didn't play particularly well. Once we got into preseason games, um, those division two preseason games that we were playing. Mm-hmm. And so you know, my coach at Metro, Coach Jave, she's really into the like mental aspect of is this affecting how we're playing because we're not mentally like she's she's all into that kind of stuff. And so she thought me starting was kind of affecting my game and ended up putting in one of the freshmen to start for me, which it was fine. I mean, if she thought that that's what was not I wasn't playing well, I mean, that's fine. But I ended up not starting and had a decent sophomore year. It wasn't anything like amazing or anything like that but um come junior year I I I would say I was a different player than I was sophomore year yeah I saw I looked at your stats too and you seemed like your best shooting season came uh, when you were a junior and Mm -hmm. and you were you were second team all-armac both junior and senior year right 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So what, what do you think, what, what do you think helped you make that leap from sophomore to junior season? I think just the fact that she took me out of the starting lineup and I, I felt like I was, I was, um, I was, I was contributing more to the game than maybe, you know, not, not to knock my teammates or anything, but I was contributing more than maybe some other people in different aspects, um, defensively, mm-hmm. um, more importantly, defensively. And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, I, my dad, he grew up coaching me and my sister and, you know, every off season when I would come home in the summer, that's who I was working out with at 6am in the morning every day. And we just started really just working on my shot gym every day. I mean, nothing out of the ordinary for me, just really changing my mindset a bit and just not letting what the coaches were saying get to me so much and just kind of focusing on what I can do. And I think when I started to cancel that noise out of, you know, the coaches constant trying to tell me how the game was going because of this, this and that, it just made me calm down a little bit more. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a basketball game and it's not the end of the world if you only have five points in a game and I put a lot of pressure on myself sophomore year to to score double digits to have this many threes to do this to go 100% from the free throw line and I think I just kind of let the game come to me that's so cliche but I just kind of let the game come to me junior year and it it worked so yeah yeah, and just so the listeners know, you played and started all 30 games, uh, averaged 13.2, made 76 threes, which that is a ton of threes, at 37%, and then 93% from the line, which is just automatic. So quite the season you had there. I'm curious, you said yeah. that, you were, that you trained with your dad a lot during the summers. Did he play basketball? Was, was he a player himself? No, it's funny because he didn't play um, high school basketball. I don't think he even played in middle school. I don't. He didn't play basketball. He was actually a track runner. Oh, really? And so everyone's always like, you know, your dad coached you, and he coached me from the day I couldn't even do a layup to to my senior year in high school, of college. So I mean, for him not playing, he did a great job with my sister and I. Oh, that's awesome. And just just because you and your sister had a natural inclination and interest in basketball, that you trained in basketball your whole life. Um, or, yeah. you know, how did you find, I guess this is backtracking a bit, but how did you and your sister uh-huh. fall in love with basketball, do you think? Yeah, um, I actually was out of state with my mom and my stepdad for a while there um, in middle school. And then we ended up moving back to Colorado Springs. And when we moved back, my sister, she was already playing basketball. And I had like, you know, tried the soccer thing and all of that didn't really stick with me. And then I came here and I'm like, what is this thing my sister is doing? You know, what, basketball. What is? And so, um, my I would go to the gym with my dad and my sister, and I would just be watching them, like you know, practice. And I'm like, you know what? I, well, I'll just try it. Let me just try because it, it looks fun. And my sister's really good. She's she's a stud. And so, um, my dad literally said, "Come to the gym one day." And from that day on, it it just stuck with me. Like I got obsessed with getting better. It came. It became a routine of just being with my dad and my sister in the gym and it just like it never stopped until like reached like 2018 when I graduated from from high, from college. Wow. And so what how old were you when you first started playing then? I was like 11 years old, 11. Wow. Yeah, and my sister she was she started playing when she was like 5, I think. Okay. And so I was yeah. pretty late. I mean, that's pretty late for a lot of people who who start playing basketball. I didn't I even actually get on a club team at that age until I was 12. Um, and that was my first type of club team I, I got on. 
Yeah, that is. I mean, it doesn't seem that old, maybe to someone who hasn't played basketball. But a lot mm-hmm. of people, a lot of great basketball players, do start. They're like, you know, the people who get really good at piano. They start really young and get all those fundamentals. Right. So it's amazing that you yeah. had so much success uh, the way that you did, starting so late. Um, so let's move now to your senior season. Um, mm-hmm. What was that like? What was your attitude like going into your final year? Oh, just excitement and so much passion towards my team and and the game and just we had a great team going my senior year we'd been building on this team since I transferred my sophomore year and so we were all of our games had elevated we had um Emily Hardigan one of our great players she was back from an injury her junior year and so I was feeling real confident we had just gotten a transfer from CCU and had a great team so I was super excited and I was pumped I had worked so hard that summer Mm -hmm. and um Things were looking really good for our team, and we ended up doing super well that year as well. Yeah, so how far did you go that year? Yeah, we made it to the second round. Second round? We made it to the game before the – yeah, so we made it to the NCAA tournament. We made it to the game before the – I guess the Sweet 16 game that would have been. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. To go, yeah. yeah. I didn't didn't Mm -hmm. know you did Did you win conference? No, we didn't win conference. We actually lost to Black Hill State in the second round of the RMAC tournament by, I think it was a point or two mm. points, like first of It was, yeah, it was super heartbreaking. And then CSU Pueblo actually ended up winning the RMAC tournament that year. And we actually ended up playing them in the first round of the NCAA tournament and then beat them to, oh, to move on to. That must have felt good after getting an at-large bid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it felt really good. It felt good to beat them because we had beat them twice that year as well so it was it was great yeah and what was it like when that final buzzer sounded and your in your college career is finally over like it's a different experience because my senior year we were eliminated before my last game so i knew it was my last game of my life and i also didn't have okay. the prospects that you had to play overseas so i was like okay this yeah. is it i'm just gonna you know drink it all in one last time um but for you you were you know mm-hmm. fighting for the sweet 16 so I, I can imagine, and I right. remember as a coach, we were in the NCAA tournament and it was kind of stunning to some of the seniors where it was like, we were just in the thick of preparation and scouting and, and, you know, rehab mm-hmm. and, and then all of a sudden you lose right. and, it's, and it's all over. So what, what was that like when, when you all finally over. lost? Oh, it was the worst heartbreak of my life. I don't think I've ever, I felt like a dagger just kind of like stabbed me in the heart. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it was a really close game as well. It was, the team we played, West Texas A&M, they were a top team all year, you know, nationally ranked, and we only lost by 10. And it was it was just close all game. And it, it just – it sucked because we were so close. And this, and this team I was with, I had been with them since my sophomore year. A lot of us, we were just, you know, elevating all the way to my senior year. And so it was, it was sad. It was really sad. And, you know, all of us were crying and just hysterical. And even though yeah. I knew that I wanted to play overseas, you, you never get that same experience you do in college. And I knew that 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 was over. That whole family aspect and that whole dynamic that that team had was just over, and it was it was heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And was Alexa your coach that season? Do you, um, Alexa Hardick, is, do you know her? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh huh. She was. Uh, she came in. That year, I only had one year with her, but she came in that year, and we we had a good year together. Okay, yeah, she's uh, Kenny Tripp's girlfriend. Kenny Tripp was my graduate assistant my senior year, um, so I'm I'm yeah. friends with them. They're great. So, 
now let's move to going overseas. So when did you know? So I guess as your senior year was unfolding and you know you had such a good junior season and you were doing great things again as a senior, I could imagine that you had your sights set to play pro. Um, when did that actually start to become a reality? Did What was the process like pursuing that once your senior season ended? Um, yeah, the process was, it was really slow and I, I didn't really know where to start. Um, my coach at Metro, she, you know, she was going to help me as best as she could, but I mean, in my mind, the head coaches can only help you so much with connections and things like that, that yeah. it kind of has to come down to other people, you know, as well. And I, I didn't know a whole lot of other people who had connections, who played overseas, who were at my level, who, who weren't top D1 people. So, you know, Division Two women's basketball player, I mean, it's obviously just going to be harder, especially if you're not an All-American and you're not player of the year, you're not first team. So, yeah. Um, I knew all of that. I was being realistic with myself, but I was going to go regardless. Like I didn't care what the, st- the statistics were about division two players or women playing overseas. I was going to make it happen. And so mm-hmm. I pretty much, you know, started reaching out to agencies maybe mid June and just started, you know, getting my resume together. I was putting highlight. I had a highlight tape I made for myself. I had, you know, two full games on my resume. I had all my stats, all my accolades, had all that ready to go for agencies or whatever. And, you know, I wasn't getting hits. It's just, you know, people really want the top, top players. And I I understood that. I knew it was going to be hard. And so um, it was kind of, you know, a downer all summer, not knowing if I was going to go or not, because I didn't know the timeline of when people go. And I didn't know when I should be signed. I was just like, you know, I don't really know what to do. And so I am um, found an agency. They found me a, a gig in Latvia, and that's where that journey kind of started there. Yeah. So, what was it like on signing day to sign to go to Latvia? Did you know anything about the country? Were you excited, nervous? What was that like? Yeah. So I had gotten the offer, and uh, they gave me like I want to say it was either a week or a couple of days to look over it. And I had my coach look over it. I had everyone look over it because you know. A lot of people don't know, but you can really get scammed when you don't pay attention to what you're doing when you're trying to go overseas because mm. p- agencies, there's some agencies out there that aren't real and they scam people. And it's a whole thing as well that I also didn't know about until I was in the process. And so I was just making sure that everything was, you know, accurate. Um, team was legit. They had an Instagram page, they had Facebook. I mean, all these things with social media also plays a role with um, overseas basketball as well. And so... Yeah, I was doing my research in Latvia, did all my research, knew where it was at, um, all that stuff before I signed it. Signing day was great. I had to wait um, a couple of weeks before they actually made the announcement for me, like the team and everything. And that was super awesome. And it was like, it was the best feeling ever. It was like complete opposite of what I felt when it was my last basketball game. It was like a new, a new ray of light that was shining for me. And so I was just super excited to be able to play again. And it was amazing. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that was really great. And then, yeah, I listened to some of your latest podcasts where you spoke about that experience and it sounded like you had some, it was a difficult experience. So whatever, yeah. you, whatever you're willing to get into here, I'd love to hear about your experience playing in Latvia briefly. Yeah. And so, um, I went over there beginning of September. Um, you know, one thing that I really was adamant on in going overseas, I really wanted another American on the team with me just because I know me and I, I know I like to be around people who, who I can have conversations with or hang out with. And that's yeah. what another American would have offered me. And um, the, the person who was supposed to sign didn't end up signing after the fact of me signing the contract. And so 
I was, you know, I was going to just do what I do what I could with, with what I can. And so went over there, um, really pretty city, um, you know, known for basketball, actually the capital Riga is, is very popular for basketball. Hmm. And yeah, I was very comfortable. Um, you know, I had mentioned in my podcast that, you know, for the couple weeks that I were, was there, I was sleeping on a couch and I never really figured out why that was. I don't, I don't know if something got messed up with, you know, communication. I'm not really sure. And so that kind of turned me off when I first got there. And then on top of the fact that there wasn't another American and then just everything kind of started to stack up for me in terms of the lifestyle and what I would normally like to be doing in, in life in general, not just playing basketball, like how I want to be living life in general. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, lucky for me, I was able to play in a tournament while I was there before I left, which was amazing. So, I mean, that experience in itself was great, but just mentally, I just started to kind of fall into like a, just a bad route. And I, I had never felt that way before. And so I knew in myself that it this wasn't either the right fit or it was just time to pursue something else. And that this lifestyle of professional basketball overseas just wasn't for me. Hmm. Yeah. Did, did you say that, did anybody speak English on the team? Yeah, we had, my coach spoke English, perfect okay. English. Um, 99% of the girls on the team did not speak English. There was one other girl who spoke English, but um, I mentioned on my podcast that she was a bit older than me. She actually played at Boise state. She was a bit older than me. And, you know, a lot of older women that play overseas actually have other jobs as well. And so I only mm. saw her at practice and um, I, I didn't really get a chance to hang out with her a lot, maybe a few days before I left. But um, yeah, my roommate, she was from Belarus. Um, she spoke zero English. We had to use Google Translate actually on our phones to communicate because oh, we wow. had no idea what each other was saying. <laughs> yeah. And so this complete culture shock and just just figured out that I, I couldn't like spend my time they're not talking to anyone yeah yeah that's too bad because obviously as you know quite well that one of the best parts about being on a team is to bond with the teammates and so i guess it mm-hmm. could have been different if you showed up and had friends right away that must have been really challenging exactly that actually reminds mm-hmm. it was it reminds me of i was in europe just traveling around after i finished basketball doing like five weeks. I I did five weeks at a camp and then spent a couple weeks with my girlfriend in Paris and then did, I was supposed to do a week in Germany. My oma, my grandma was going to fly out to Germany to be with her, to be with me and her sister. So all three Mm -hmm. of us were going to hang out and tour Germany. But my oma's passport was within like, it was like 68 days or something until it expired. And apparently you can't go to Europe if you're within like five months or something so she like showed up to the airport and they turned her away she's just this like sweet oh no 80 year old woman and so so i I was like it was a huge bummer because that would have been such a great experience for her and i to to be in her hometown together but so now i'm going to germany and i stayed with her sister who spoke no english and it was just me and her Mm -hmm. and so for Mm -hmm. it was actually it was really great by the end of the five days her and I had like our invented sign language system to figure out <laughs> like what we were going to eat for breakfast. And yeah, she, she would call my Oma and my Oma would then translate the, the plan for the day to me. So I knew what we we're doing the whole day and it was kind of interesting, but yeah, that, that wow. living with someone who doesn't speak the same language is kind of a trip. I, I'd never done that before. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So 
you come back to the States and how long did it take before you got into coaching and going to grad school? Yeah, it, I got back in the middle of when basketball season was literally about to start. So there was no way I was going to get a GA job um, until the next season. And so pretty much just had to get a normal job, like, you know, your typical target, whatever, had to get a job. Um, and then I was pretty much doing that up until July of 2019 and um, got a got the thing at UCCS, met with the coaches and ended up getting that, which was just it was just so perfect and the timing couldn't have been any better for me. So a few months that I was maybe six or so months that I was kind of just not doing a whole lot of anything at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Does it feel good to be back involved with the game? Oh, absolutely. I mean that six months I had off, it was just like the most boring thing I've ever had to do. It's been so long since I wasn't in the gym constantly I didn't have a ball in my hand. I was like, what am I doing? You know, I mean, I knew from the get, if I wasn't going to play professionally, I was going to get into coaching or something within the NCAA and women's basketball. Like I knew I was going to be around basketball and I was happen. Even if it wasn't coaching or whatever the case might've been, I was gonna, gonna get my way into, into that, to that world again. Cause I, I can't imagine my life without basketball, honestly. Yeah. It's interesting you say that I've done some writing and thinking about, the identity that always that gets wrapped mm-hmm. up for so many of us with sports, um, especially yeah. especially for people who play in college, and it's you know if you're playing in college, it's, it's basically become a massive part of your life. And then, as you know, the kind of obligation of time that college basketball or college sports in general demands, it's just it's really hard to not kind of put some of your self worth and identity into your sport. And so is that something that you experienced in that six month gap away from the game is kind of like a, I mean, that's maybe you didn't have this experience, but I surprisingly, even though I wasn't a star player in college or anything, and I was actually looking forward to life after basketball, I still felt Mm -hmm. this kind of weird identity crisis. And part of it was just, I didn't have a season to train for. I would, I had always had that anchor where okay, I've got to do ball handling today and I've got to go to yoga and I've got to right. you know, do this stuff. So is that something that you experienced in your six months between uh, playing and coaching? Oh, absolutely. And that was a thing. I had actually created a blog post. I had created a website that I was going to blog about my entire experience overseas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I left overseas, I, I made a blog post explaining in very depth detail of why I was leaving. Just so, you know, a lot of people knew and a lot of you know, where my mind was at and deciding to leave, I was just, you know, I didn't want to let people down because so many people, you know, were rooting for me. They knew me as a basketball player. They, they knew I wanted to go overseas. All this stuff was just brewing in my head and a lot of disappointment. And then on top of that, you know, who am I without basketball? And like you said, I mean, I really don't think it's talked about enough. You know, are we, are we preparing people for life after basketball? I don't know if a lot of, colleges are doing that you know a lot of programs and so it just gets hard when you know unfortunately sports are not an everlasting thing and it's going to come to an end whether that be um, injury or just getting older and your body's just not working as well or whatever the case might be Um, a lot of people don't know who they are without their sport and it's sad I mean I, I was talking about it on my podcast a bit that I went through sort of a form of depression just kind of trying to figure out who 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 is Janae without basketball um and I realized you know 
I, I don't know who I am without basketball to this day still because I still want to pursue a career in it. But who is Janae who's not playing basketball? And um, it was just a hard pill to swallow in those six months trying to figure out what I was going to do. And, you know, also seeing other people my age going overseas playing just made it more harder as well. So, you know, the whole process of leaving Lavia was really hard. And I think I'm to some extent still struggling with the idea of me not playing basketball anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's something that's so hard to prepare for because like for, for you, you know, from 11 to whatever it was, 22 or 23 or mm-hmm. whatever it was, same thing for me, you know, I didn't know what life was like without sports. And so it's not something you can really even comprehend. And I know it sounds dramatic to people who yeah. are on the outside, like, oh, poor you, you don't have your, your, bas- you don't have your basketball scholarship anymore. But it is, right. like a, it's a hard thing to express to someone who hasn't gone through it. But exactly, I'm glad to hear that you're back in the game. So how has it been on the coaching side so far? Are you taking to that side of the, of the fence? Yeah, it's been good. Um, I will say I struggled a little bit my first year in just um, accepting the fact that I'm not playing anymore. Like, I don't know why it's so hard, but it was even harder to watch, you know, a team that I played against and players that I played against that I'm coaching right now. It was hard to watch them and not be able to, like, get in there and, like, help, like, literally get into the game and help them and like all I could do is I could just verbally tell you what to do and hope that you catch on to it and so I'm still in the process of trying to switch my mindset from player to coach and it's been it's been a process but I I feel like I'm getting there slowly it's just you know I'm more confident as a player than I am as a coach and they're two completely different worlds in my eyes and so um it's just been it's been a transition honestly yeah, that's a weird dynamic that I hadn't thought much about. It sounds like it's the case for you, someone who's mm-hmm. such a great player in the RMAC, and you, if you were to put on your sneakers on any given night, you'd still be such a great player in the RMAC, but you have to sit on mm-hmm. the side with you know coaches' clothes. My yeah, my senior season, our objectively probably our our best player on the team was the GA, and so he would play Kyle Long. He would play um, pick up or like in scrimmages with us and just absolutely kill. Yeah, and you, you could tell it, it. You know, it affected him too. And I wasn't the kind of player that he was. But even when I got on the coaching side, and we were missing, you know, we weren't shooting well. I was like, God, I just want to get out there and knock down a few shots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And it's funny because you know, um, a lot of the girls that I played against on the UCCS team didn't actually remember playing against me. And you know, so them not remembering them playing against me, they didn't know I was like, you know, this great shooter and all that and I would jump into practice sometimes and shoot and they'd just be stunned they're like oh like this is who's our DA like you know this, maybe, this maybe, is cool. maybe, maybe we should listen to her <laughs> <laughs> I know right like maybe she's not, she knows what she's talking about yeah right okay well um I want to move into some kind of like higher level questions here so okay. I'm actually I had this written down I think I know the answer to this now but we can go deeper into it so I was going to ask what is the most difficult time in your basketball career it was that when you were in Latvia or is there another time that you were really having a tough time just the day in day out grind of basketball? Yeah, I would say that transition from Adam state to Metro and that whole transition of my coach taking me out of the starting lineup and not really knowing what my role was at that point. Um, I struggled a lot there. And at, at that time, you know, my dad was still being really hard on me about games, you know, I mean, my dad is really, really hard on my sister and I. Um, 
-hmm. you know, he's the parent that is watching your games and is going to break it down with you afterwards. Or, you know, he might even leave a game early if you're not playing the way you're supposed to be playing in his (laughs) eyes. Yeah. So I was struggling with that a little bit because, you know, I was thinking he would stop being so hard on me by the time I got to college, but no, he got even, he got even more harder on us. And I mean, I appreciate that he was like that because it made me into the player I was, but that transition of, of, you know, being taken out of the starting lineup and not really knowing my role and, you know, a freshman taking my, my spot who actually is my best friend to this day. And so it was just, it was a transition. I think that was a really hard time for me. I remember going into coach Javi's office in tears all the time because I was trying to figure out what is it I need to do? What do you need me to do? Like just not knowing, you know, that was probably a hard time for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's really cool that it was a happy ending because of the way you exploded your junior and senior season. Yeah. Was your dad there? Sure. Was your dad there on senior night? Yes. Dad was there. I have a very mixed family. So I have, you know, I have a stepmom, I have a stepdad, mom and dad. So both families walked me out on senior night and um, it was really special. And I, I, it was great. That's beautiful. So what is your, yeah. what was the most fun that you've ever had playing basketball? What, what era was that? Oh man. I, I, I have to say senior year of college at Metro like nothing in my eyes nothing will ever top that and I always talk about it with my teammates that you know every aspect of that year just walking to go get pregame downtown like every aspect of it was super special and all of us to this day we can't stop talking about how much it meant to us and it was just going to the NCAA tournament and getting a bid like everything was just amazing having a watch party all of that I mean it was just it was the best year of basketball I ever played Nice. That's awesome. What, uh, in what ways did you grow as a player, uh, mentally? Like what, what do you think the biggest improvement was between your mindset, say as a freshman and then as a senior? I think, I mean, I guess it would be not putting so much pressure on myself. I think, Mm. you know, freshman year I was doubted, you know, I felt like I was doubted in high school and even my freshman year, I felt like I was doubted in sophomore year as well. And just that transition of, building up my self-confidence, but not putting too much pressure on me. You know, even my junior year, I was struggling a little bit with that whole idea of, you know, I think shooters have a little bit of a different, and I'm speaking for, I'll speak for myself, but I, as a shooter, I would always be so hard on myself when, you know, a couple threes in a row didn't go in or when a free throw didn't go in. It's like, what's going on? And then, you know, (laughs) ultimately you know, thinking about it over and over again, I would shoot worse. And then my coach would be on my head because she could see that I'm worried so much about my scoring that I wasn't contributing any other way. And so being able to just understand that, you know, you got to let the game come to you. You're a great shooter, you know, giving myself, you know, confidence, but also just letting the game come to me. And then I think defense really helped with that, you know, that pressure. I I really locked in on defense my junior and senior year, and that eased a lot of pressure for me offensively and just made the game a lot smoother for me. So all of those together kind of just changed my my mentality a little bit throughout the years. Nice. And, yeah, what did you – in moments where you were frustrated or when you lacked confidence in your shot, were there any techniques that you used to get yourself back to center? Yeah, a big thing for me was just self-talk and it positive self-talk at that. It was just, you know, reassuring myself that it's okay to miss a couple of shots, you know, telling myself, go get a layup, see the ball go in, 
and then you know maybe get fouled, shoot a free throw, watch watch it go in, get a feel for the ball, and just not you know being so hard on myself like you suck or you know why are you playing like why is this girl scoring more points than you you know and I did that a lot. I used to compare myself a lot to the other players on the other team um, mm-hmm. who were you know maybe good players as well and when they would have a good game and I was not having a bad game, I'm like, you know, what's, what's the difference between her and I right now? And that was the thing I used to do a lot as well. So positive self-talk was really big for me and just reassuring my confidence and stuff. Nice. And then were you asked Bailey Purdy, this question, who's another great shooter, did, Mm -hmm. were you someone who got as many shots up as you possibly could outside of organized practice? Or did you just like to be, shoot enough to get into a rhythm. I've always been fascinated with the different philosophies that shooters have on kind of tuning and improving their shots in the middle of the season. Yeah, no, I I was a person who, if I didn't have the ball in my hand for a certain amount of time, I felt like I wasn't going to be able to shoot good anymore. And so <laughs> yeah. if it was just having the ball in my hand at home, I would be asking Alexa to come do an individual with me. Like I would be always asking Jazz or other assistant to do an individual with me. Like and, you know, at Metro, we have we actually have a gym at our student housing. So mm. I was down there getting up shots as well. And then you God, know, no one, getting no those one, individuals. No, one, no wonder Metro is such a powerhouse. I didn't know that. You guys have a personal <laughs> gym. <laughs> yeah, we have a whole gym there that was like opened, um, you know, uh, up until like 10 o'clock at night before coronavirus and everything. But yeah. Um, yeah, I was just always in the gym, you know, summers as well. I told you like nonstop in the gym with my dad getting shots up and I think that's also an area where people struggle is staying in the gym after season ends and um that's what I was doing I just felt like if I didn't have the ball in my hand that like I wasn't going to be able to shoot for some reason it was just like a a weird superstitious thing I think or some weird anxiety that I had about shooting well yeah us shooters we're we're a strange bunch I, I have the same feelings <laughs> of like yeah it's such a crazy confidence thing to it is. It is. Yeah. So I have to. I'd be. I would be a fool not to ask this to have someone who shot ninety three percent from the free throw line. Um, what was your free throw routine like? Uh, did you do anything special mentally or with your physical routine? How did you become so accurate from the free throw line? Yeah, I'll go go back to my dad again. He instilled in us that we had to have a routine, and this is so funny because he didn't play basketball, so I don't know where he got all this mm. knowledge from. Mm. Um. But he instilled in my sister and I that we had to have a routine, the same routine every time. And with my dad, it was just so important, the elbow and the follow through, um, you know, that was the main points for us. And we stayed at the free throw line during practices um, with my dad all the time. We were just constantly shooting free throws. So I just kind of developed a routine of walking up to the line, three dribbles, taking a deep breath and then rolling the ball in my hands. And I I never changed it after that. Like, that's literally all I did. And um it was just taking that deep breath and taking as, as long as I needed to, to get the shot up as accurate as I could. Nice. Nice. Another thing I was, I was always envious of players who were good defenders. Like you were, um, did you ever, were you able to like take solace in the defensive end of the court when you weren't feeling confident on the offensive side? Were you ever, were you ever able to get yourself going through defense? I heard you mention that in passing briefly. I'm curious if that was ever part of your, um, mental strategy to get yourself back into a game? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember um, just one specific game. We were playing CSU Pueblo at home. We ended up winning that game in overtime. But 
I was I was like oh for nine in the first half, just just shooting horribly. Hmm. And you know, thank God my coach, you know, she had the utmost confidence in me, especially in my defense. And so she kept me in all game. And I was just, you know, at that point it was you know, I had to stop focusing on, I think a lot of where my confidence came from in the defensive end was to stop worrying about my offense mm. and thinking I had to score X amount of points for us to win. Because the reality was I could honestly, I didn't probably need to score half the points I did for us to win. Cause we had like so many dynamics on our team um, mm. who were scorers. And so I took super pride in every game. My coach put me on the best player every game. And that just fired me up because I'm like, I'm about to stop her and she's not going to score. And it just fired me up. And I was just, I took so much pride in defense because you get to stop the best player on the team. Like I, I think that's one of the coolest jobs in the world. So I, I took a lot of pride in that. And I think that helped me a lot on the offensive end, just giving myself some room to breathe, but going super hard on defense. Cause there's no way you can possibly continuously mess up on defense. Um, especially if you're a great defender. I mean, I had, all my yeah. I had all my my keys there and so you know focusing on defense helped me a lot on the offensive end yeah defense is such so much more of an effort and energy based thing um for sure and so I wasn't a good defender and so it was I played as hard as I could on defense to you know do it the best I could but I was always I'd look to the players who could ramp up their games on defense which maybe they should have been playing that way all the time anyway but right um <laughs> like that they could impact a game on the defensive end where for me, if I wasn't making shots, I wasn't really helping. And so I was just a shooting specialist. Mm -hmm. And so that added, Mm -hmm. I think, pressure. And so I always thought that would have been cool to be able to affect the game in that way too. Absolutely. Okay. Well, you ready for a few rapid fire questions? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Well, it's, uh, it's August 19th. This probably won't come out for a week or two, but who is going to win the finals this year? I'm I'm just really biased, and I'm a Lakers fan till the day I die. Oh no! So I shouldn't have had Lakers. you on. Lakers, I'm, I'm, I'm a Portland Laker. fan. Oh <laughs> no! See, see, this is why. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, I'm a Lakers fan. So if they don't win, I'm going to be very, very heartbroken. Yeah. So we're recording this the day after Blazers went up one zero. It's funny because when this comes yep. when this comes out, the series will be either over or much different. So we'll have to see what happens. Oh there. man, I know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, favorite uh, musical artist? Frank Ocean. Frank Ocean is my guy. I love Frank Ocean. Um, what's yeah. your, what's your, do you like the, okay, we'll dive into Frank Ocean here. What is, do you like Channel Orange or Blonde better? Blonde. Blonde is better. I'm, I have to say, I said this on one of my other podcasts as well, but Blonde is better than Channel Orange. Even I, though they're both like a 10 out of 10, I, I think Blonde is better. I, to- I agree. Totally agree. I was into Frank Ocean ever since like odd future days but he yeah but uh blonde was like a new level for me like i became like a diehard after that so oh um, absolutely um i just want to say something really quick it's ahead. pretty crazy but um he actually you know he went on that like hiatus for a while and his first concert back was at fyf fest in 2017 and um my cousin and i we wait we we went and we waited like 15 plus hours uh, outside that day to be front row at his concert that day. So, oh that's my the God, that would be so yeah. sick. I, 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 yeah. I tell people if I could see anyone who I hadn't seen yet, it would be Frank. I, I, he like doesn't really? tour, he like doesn't tour very much though. I, I don't know. No, he does. 
and now that now that we'll never see a concert again with coronavirus, I don't know if my luck's <laughs> luck's run out. I know, right? Yeah, that's odd. What's your favorite song on Blonde? I really like Ivy. I don't know, just mm-hmm. a great song. Siegfried as well. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't think I could pick a favorite song on Blonde to be honest. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. That's great. How about you? Uh, I think I, I nights for me. I love nights, especially the the second half when like the beat switches. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Yeah. Do you like the transition between nights better or the transition between pyramids better? Oh my god, what a great question, um, and that, what a hard question because the the transi- yeah. <laughs> the transition on pyramids like it's like an out of body experience. That's like a crazy. It aspect. really is. <laughs> it is. I me and my friend took mushrooms a couple of summers ago and listened to a bunch of Frank, and I was like freaking out. I was like, "This is a like, really yeah, just amazing." Blonde would sound crazy. Yeah, yeah. We listened to Siegfried and we were both in our feelings. <laughs> was... Oh, yeah, that's the song. That's the song that gets you in your feelings. That yeah. one right there. Yeah, well, it's great. So to which find... one? You got to pick one. Yeah, okay. I'm going to I'm gonna go with Nights. Uh, I'm going to go with Nights. Okay. But it's hard. Okay. Yeah. It is. Okay, well, LeBron, Jordan, or Kobe? Kobe. That's an easy answer. Okay. Where would you most like to travel? <clears throat> um, Most like to travel... That's a hard one. I think, you know, I've never been to New York. It's not at, it's not overseas or anything, but I, I've really been wanting to go to New York City. So I think right now I would want to go there. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. My girlfriend and I had plans to go for my first time, literally like the week that coronavirus popped oh, off. Oh, no. We were like, yeah, so we had to cancel. Luckily we did because we were, we were still ignorant to how bad New York was going to get, but yeah. So oh yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. So hopefully soon. What right. are you? What are you most afraid of between snakes, rats, and spiders? Spiders. I can't do bugs. Spiders. Like okay. spiders. Even the tiniest little thing. I ha- someone has to come kill it for me. I don't know <laughs> what it is, but it's bad. Yeah. Okay. Last one. If you could give one piece of advice to your former self when you were 18 years old, about to start your basketball career, what would it be? That is a great question. Um, I think I would just tell her to, to to get in the gym more. I really feel like I could have gotten in the gym more than I was. Mm. Even, even though I lived in the gym, I just feel like I could have gotten in the gym more and just have more confidence in myself. I just didn't have, you know, a lot of confidence in my game and who I was as a player. And I, I think in my mind, I was just average. And a lot of other people's mind, they thought I was above average. But um you know, just just get in the gym more and be more confident in your in your game and who you are as a player because it's gonna take you so far. So I think that's what I would tell my younger self. Nice, nice. That's great advice. Well, yes. great, Janae. So nice getting on the podcast and nice to meet you virtually. It's been it's been really great. We'll have to do a part two sometime, maybe once you're a head coach or something someday. Yeah, absolutely. And I might have to get you on my podcast sometime. Oh, I'd be honored. That'd be great. Awesome. All right, Janae. Take care. Thank you. If you like the podcast, please consider subscribing to my newsletter, which you can find at billyhanson.net forward slash newsletter. This is the best way to stay in contact with my work, as I'll be sending out new podcast announcements along with other written content. You can also support the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, subscribing on Spotify, or sending the podcast to someone who you think might like it. Thank you for listening and for your support. It's a sauce.